You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. John chapter 6, that's where we're going to be tonight, and we won't, um, I don't know that we'll stand this evening, uh, just a short, we're going to read a short passage, John chapter 6, and this, uh, last week, uh, as, as many of you know, our young people went to the youth conference there in Oklahoma City at Southwest Baptist, or hosted by Southwest Baptist Church. And we heard Sunday um, some of the testimonies from that, that meeting, that event. And I'm telling you, I was, I was just blessed by that. Um, we had at least two, two young ladies that received Christ as their Savior on that trip. And uh, that's a hallelujah. Um, we had at least a couple that stood up here and said they had surrendered their life to serve the Lord with their life. And... Uh, and as I, I've just been thinking about that a, a lot this week, and I couldn't get it out of my mind, and uh, it impressed on me the importance. And this has, this really is connected in some ways to the discipleship, the discipleship program, and and I call it a program. It's a ministry. I mean, it's the call of the church to disciple. It's it's not just a program. It's it's what we do. We are defined by our discipling of of other people. And then I, but I, it just has been on my mind since Sunday about. How uh, these young people, I feel very strongly that we are stewards of, of these young people. And we, we have a responsibility to these young people to help them be discipled. We have a responsibility to help them to grow and to help them to be prepared to do those things that God has called them to do. And, and I just haven't been able to get away from that. Um, and part of it is because... I think we all know the condition of our country and we see where our country is headed and, and you, you hear what's going on and you just, you hardly can believe that this is America, that we're living in a country that, that, it, that you know, we've been used to most of our lives. If it's never been perfect for sure, but uh, we've never been here before. And I think about these young people and I, I think about Rhiannon standing up there and saying she, she feels like God wants her to serve him with her life. And I saying, bless God. And I hear Jonah um, say he, he wants to serve God with his life. And, and, and whatever it is that God wants them to do. And, and there are many others in this group that want to do that. And, I, and while they're saying that, I'm also, though, thinking, um, Lord, help them. I mean, think about where they're, what they're stepping into. And, and how difficult it, it's going to be as I believe it's now and it, it will just continue to get harder to stand for Christ than it has been probably since our nation gained its independence. I mean, to, to stand up for what is right. And the, the, the call is a blessing, uh, but the call can also be difficult. They will be, be required to stand in the face of things we probably haven't faced. And as I, as I heard uh, their testimonies and I heard them talk about a message, one of the messages from last week, uh, I was just led back to the text that, that they were talking about. Uh, one of the men last week, Pastor uh, Tyler Prater, he's from Fellowship Baptist Church in Liberal, Kansas, and, and he's a friend of mine. I, I, we're friends and I, I appreciate Brother Tyler. He, he connects well with young people and he 
preached a great message last week called Walk Away, Mo- Walk Away Moments out of John 6. And he challenged them with, with the, the thought that they will be faced. And it, it may not be now. It might be in the future. It may be uh, months or years down the road. But they will be faced. They'll come to a crossroads in their lives where they're, where they're faced with a walk-away moment. Meaning that, that they will be faced with a trial or something that's hard enough that will tempt them to walk away from Christ. And, and I want to help them to be prepared for those moments. And, and so it's just been on my mind to go through some of the thoughts that he presented and then not just apply it to them, but to apply it to us tonight. And I haven't done something like that before, uh, but I do think the application for us is just as valid as it was for them this past week. So John chapter 6, and we're just going to read uh, a few verses here. Let's, let's go ahead and stand. John chapter 6, verse 66. It says, John six sixty six. it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? So, He's, he, the disciples, not just a few, many of the disciples went back and stopped following Jesus Christ because of some things that he had just taught. And we'll look at some of those very briefly, but, but some things that he had just taught that were difficult, they weren't received well, they weren't believed. So Jesus felt compelled to then turn to the core, the, the, the 12. He says he turned to the 12 and he said, will ye also go away, walk away? And that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Will, ye all, will I also walk away? Because there are plenty that are walking away. And we have, to be, we have to be sure that we aren't going to walk away. But we also have to be sure that we're preparing the next generation to survive the walk away moment. And I love Peter's answer in verse 68. He said, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I love it. Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. What an answer from Peter, um, who didn't always get it right, but he sure did right here. And I will talk tonight about walkaway moments, specifically how to help the next generation survive their walkaway moments. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for allowing us to read it publicly to have it in our hands, to hold it. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that we have to do that. And I pray that you would help us tonight to be open to your word and to be serious and sensitive to your Holy Spirit and that we would be, uh, that you would bless the reading and the preaching and that you would speak to our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In Brother Prater's message last week, I think it was Wednesday morning, he started with uh, a story about his high school soccer team in his city, his town of Liberal, Kansas. In 2010, um, Brother Tyler got some really cool opportunities to be involved in, involved in, that, in the soccer team at his local high school. And uh, you should hear the rest of that story. It really is an amazing story about how God used him to reach a, a lot of those young men uh, on the team. But he talked about how in 2010 he was at the soccer practice, the very opening day for summer practice, and, 
And I saw this happening just today over at, at Lincoln High School. We drove down 229 and there's a bunch of girls out there practicing soccer, getting ready for the season and uh, running and doing conditioning drills. And so Brother Tyler talked about how, how in 2010 he was there at the first day. They call it boot camp. The first week of soccer practice, it's two-a-days. There's a practice in the morning and a practice in the evening. And they don't even use soccer balls. It's all conditioning. And when I was in high school, I played football. And we, had, we actually had three-a-days. You'd practice in the morning. You'd lift weights in the afternoon. You'd practice at night. And you basically just ran and ran and ran until you got sick. That was before people really cared about being overheated and things like that. It was way harder in our day, you know, one of those things. He talked about how 100 kids came out the first day to be on that soccer team. And by Friday, there were 50 left. And boot camp was hard. It was so hard that many of those young soccer players were faced with a walk-away moment. And half of them stayed and half of them left. And we probably all have examples of times in our lives that we have been tempted to walk away or we did. I wonder how many in here, as a, as a child, you started piano lessons, but you didn't finish them. <laughs> Maybe they lasted for, for boys, they might last a couple of months. For girls, they might last a year or two. But I remember as a boy learning, trying to learn piano, and, and I was much more interested in the birds singing and the sun shining outside the window than I was in practicing that piano. If you've ever started something like that, uh, then you've been tempted to walk away when it got hard. If you've ever tried to get in shape, if you've ever tried, we've got a, a, a group of people even right now at Eastside on Wednesday nights that are, that are taking sign language lessons. And I love to do it when she's interpreting. I love to say Miss Jessica's name to see how she refers to herself. Just points to herself. Okay, so Miss Jessica is teaching sign language, and she's she and, and there's a number of people that are taking that class, and and one of our girls is doing it, and and I could be, I could see how you could be excited about that at the beginning, but then you realize to do what what she does or other interpreters do, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes years and years and years of of practice and getting proficient, and how many probably have walked away after getting excited about sign language, or they've walked away after getting excited about learning some other new language, or there's a project at work that you've had and it just went on and on and on and you were ready just to dump it and get rid of it. Or maybe that happened at school and a project that you were excited about at the beginning and now it just seems like it's hanging over your head. Maybe you've tried to save money and get to a certain level and or maybe you have a house project that's never ending. Listen, we all have things in our lives that that we've gotten to a walk-away moment in, where it got harder than we thought it was going to be. But more significant than any of those moments in life is when we were, are, find ourselves tempted to walk away from the Lord himself. And maybe there are some in this room that, that you would say, I had a walk-away moment earlier in my life, and I actually did walk away for a time. Maybe that defines you, and you've been through that, Listen, we will all at some point face, come face to face with a moment that tests our faith. Yeah. Many young people in our youth group are too young to have faced those moments yet. And, and really, I was talking about that with somebody else even recently, how our young people are, you know, if they're homeschooled or, or if they're in a Christian school and they really haven't been 
put in a position to have their faith tested very much at an early age. And I'm not sure where that balance is. I, I think we ought to think of ways to, to put them out there and get out outside of their box um, not to just throw them to the wolves if they're not ready for that yet. But, but I think it'd be good for us to think of ways to, to have our children um, have their faith be grown. Because, you know, right now they come with their parents and they have to be at church. You know, they have to be at the activities. They, you know, our young people, they, they, they go to everything because their parents in general go to everything. And listen, I think it's a good thing for parents to make those decisions early on and say, this is what we do. I've talked about that with, with Brother Juan before, that, you know, we don't, we don't every Saturday night, you don't sit and debate, okay, here's the pros of going to church tomorrow. Here are the cons of going to church tomorrow. And if the pros outweigh the cons, we'll go. But if the cons outweigh the pros, we stay home tomorrow. No, we don't, brother, at least for Brother Juan and I in our conversation, we don't have that conversation at home. We, we're going to church. That's what we do. That's who we are as children of God. That's what you do. We don't have to think about it. And our, and our children, they, they get in the habit. Um, but listen, we also have to understand that as, as parents, one day our children will have to make those decisions for themselves. They'll be put in a position where it's just them. And they'll be all alone without the physical presence of mom and dad and youth pastor or pastor or friends or church family, they will find out in those moments how committed they really are to the Lord. And I'm asking, just the question is, you know, will, will they stay or will they go? And I've referred to these statistics before, but the numbers in, in the more recent numbers and statistics, and this is not just independent Baptists, this is uh, Christians, Christian religion in, in a loose term in general, but the, 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 the statistics have been this way for 10 years that they say about 70% of the young people growing up in Christian churches are leaving after high school. 70%. And the way I've, I've preached this many times before, and I like, to, I like to do it this way, and I say, young people, uh, look at the person to your left and look at the person to your right, and in five years, one of you three will still be in church. It's about 67%, two-thirds. Two-thirds will be out. And when you start thinking about that, if I had one-third of the young people stand tonight, that's who will, if the statistics are true, that's who will still be standing in five years and still be going to church, if the statistics are true. Now, I happen to believe in independent Baptist churches. In my experience, it's much higher than that. And I'm thankful for that. It ought to be higher than that. If we are preaching the truth, and not just that, if we are committed to the truth as real disciples, it ought to be higher than that. I think it is. I'm grateful. But, you know, we want young people to answer the call to the ministry, but they're a lot more walking away than answering that call. And I'm talking about young people that once were at everything. Young people, and you probably can think of these even right here at Eastside, young people that used to be at youth group every Sunday. And when we had Wednesday night youth group, they were there every time. And if you had an activity, there they were. If you had outreach, they were there. And now they're nowhere to be found. Where are they? When it comes to our young people, no one can help them avoid the moment. We can't because they'll be faced with it. But we can do our best to help them survive the moment. 
And we have a lot more to do with that than we probably think. So the context of John 6 is Jesus speaking to the multitude. And in that crowd, there were different kinds of people. There were the disciples. And Brother Prater talked about disciples. There were critics. And then he talked about how there were fans. And Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called Not a Fan. And I think our young people have gone through that with Brother Heath. And, and he, call, he, he dis- distinguishes the difference between disciples and fans. You know, and how, how a fan is there to just be entertained. A fan is there to be a spectator. A fan is just there because they're interested in what's going on. And if you think about when Jesus Christ was preaching uh, to the multitudes in John chapter 6, there were disciples, the committed, there were the critics that, that just hated him, and then there were the fans. And the fans were there because Jesus puts on a show. And everywhere he went, you know, who's, who's he going to heal today? And what's he going to do tonight? And, and, and oh, let's just, let's make, we need to make sure we go because we want to see what's happening. You have these different categories of people and not all of them are committed disciples. And then Jesus starts teaching these things that are hard for them to, to, to understand or handle. Look back up in verse 52. It says, the, the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said, said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood and dwelleth in me, and I in him as the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna or are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And he clarifies even in that last verse. He's not talking about physical meat. It's not as your fathers ate. He says this is, this is the bread of life. And if you will accept by faith this, this bread of life, you know, I'm, I'm going to shed my blood on a cross for you. I'll die for you. And you receive that payment, not as your fathers ate. This is the bread of life. This is eternal in significance. It's spiritual in significance. But they were accepting it all as literal. They were hearing it literally. And they're saying, how can we eat the flesh? And how can we eat the blood? And, and we might have taken it literally too, like a child. You know, when kids are little, you try to give them something figurative and they can't see it. You know, it's, you know, you try, but it's a rock. You know, they don't get it. And that's how kids can be. And, and that's how we might have been because that's how these were. And they weren't fully understanding what Jesus was saying. And it was a hard saying. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? It was crippling to them. And according to Jesus in verse 61, it was offensive to them. They weren't understanding it. And in an adult Sunday school class, we've been talking about how Jesus would often say, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And listen, there's a big difference between just hearing something and hearing something. If Jesus, if, if it really wasn't, if it was hard or easy for everybody, I should say, then we could all just hear it and that's it. No, he said, a lot of people are going to hear it. But not everybody is going to hear it. A lot of people will hear it. But not everybody hears it. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. It's not about just hearing it in your ears. It's about accepting it. It's about believing it. And we ought to be helping our, our young people to not just be hearers. Because every, anybody can sit under this 
preaching tonight and in our services and they can hear what's happening but it doesn't mean and this happens this doesn't happen every Sunday morning we have we have have a majority of people that are hearing it and accepting it but we have guests just about every Sunday morning and, and I can see it in their face they're hearing it but they're not hearing it they're hearing it but they're not accepting it because the gospel is offensive and it, and, it, and it separates people. The truth is, I mean, it's divisive because people don't want to hear it. And we ought to help our, our children, um, our young people to not just sit and listen, but sit and hear. And I would challenge you parents, ask them what the message was about. Ask them what the Sunday school lesson about. Hey, give them a notebook and have them take notes or do something to engage their minds because far too many, and, and I'm looking at you boys right here, Far too many of you come and you just sit and you let the the words come to your ears, but the words don't get to your heart. And it's a bad habit to be in because if they're doing it now, they're setting a trend for the rest of their lives. Make sure they're not just hearing, make sure they're hearing. And I know, listen, you you can't control somebody's choices. You can't make the seed go into the soil, but we as parents can help prepare the soil a little better, I think. You know, God help us if we're, if we're turning off the, the certain music in the parking lot and expecting them to come right in the doors and listen to the preaching and receive it. Or God, God help us if we are, if, if our language or our spirit and our countenance isn't one of grace and love and, and ex- exhibiting Jesus to them and we expect them to come here and, and be receptive to the word, help us. And listen, I'm not saying this accusatory. I'm saying it's because I'm a dad. And I know what it's like getting out the door on Sunday morning with four daughters. I mean, it's like you need, you know, it's like chaos. You just can't hardly, there aren't enough bathrooms in our house. We have three bathrooms and that's not enough. I mean, it's just people everywhere. I'm like, I don't even, it's like 20 people. It might as well be sometimes, you know, it's hard. And sometimes that the devil does that, doesn't he? Right before you're going to church and you're hitting every stoplight and, and it's, you're already frustrated and then we're supposed to walk in the door and bless God. You know, thank you, brother. Good to see you today, brother. I know how it is. Parents, let's create an environment that, that our children aren't having to work against it to hear the word. Good preparation to hear the word also is that the word is, is being fed at home. You know, and a good, good idea, a good way to help them be more prepared for it. Listen, it's just something. I was talking to a friend recently, and, you know, this, the word, being a disciple is hard. We just have to come to that. It's hard. And if being a disciple, if you've always found it easy, then maybe we should talk about the definition of discipleship. Because it's not easy. And, and that's what's happening here in the text. I was talking to a friend just recently and he had to make a very hard decision because he was trying to stick to his faith. And it cost him something. It cost him you know, something big and something, it was hard for him. And following Jesus is demanding and the bar is set high if you're a disciple. And when it gets hard, are our young people, are they prepared? I mean, they're going to find themselves with a walkaway moment, but... You know, are they really prepared to face them? You know, they're, they're going to face walkaway moments the, f- the first time they get a job around lost people. And I remember 
Olivia, you know, telling us about working here at a local place, a restaurant last Christmas and the things that were being talked about. I just couldn't believe, I just, I just couldn't believe that, that the kitchen would allow that to go on. But that's not rare. That happens everywhere. And, and as soon as our young people start getting jobs, listen, they're going to be hearing things and, and, and they have to be ready. And it's not like you can really prepare them for that. The parents, we need to be there to support them with that and help them with that. Have we prepared them for their first job? Have we, you know, and if your children, some go to secular college and I, I get that. I'm not sure. Sometimes I, I wonder about the wisdom of that um, with just to send them off on their own and in a secular environment. You know, I think about that environment at the schools and it's a you know, partying environment and drinking and, and immorality. And I'm like wondering, could it, I as an adult, could I maintain my walk in a place like that? No, and here we're going to send an 18-year-old there. Are, are they really prepared? I mean, that's, there's a walk-away moment ready for young people that go to college. Walk-away moments for those that face major tragedies because you've been there and, and we've faced them things and the hard things come and you want to look for something, somebody to blame and it's difficult and you convince yourself, well, if God loved me, he wouldn't do this or God's not fair or he wouldn't have sent this or God doesn't care about me like he cares about other people. And, and, and young people, listen, you're going to face a tragedy. You're going to face something in your life that's very difficult and you have to decide if you're just going to still believe that God is, is loving and God is, is, is taking care of you and the fact that God himself, Jesus himself suffered more than any of us ever have, that should give us confidence that God is not just sending us out here to suffer on our own. I mean, he let his own son suffer in, in our place for us. And that gives me rest. And this is good for everybody. That gives me hope that if Jesus Christ was willing to suffer like that, then if I suffer, it's not because God doesn't love me because I know he loves his son. And he's not, he doesn't leave you alone. But I know young people and I know, I know older folks. I know grown-ups that have walked away when they face a tragedy. And rather than getting closer, they, they remove themselves. It's the worst thing you can do in a tragedy. For some, their walkaway moment might be they'll feel alone. I mean, this generation, uh, they might feel alone. How, how an interesting it is that, you know, you're, well, they're in a youth group. And, and, and yet, I'm, I'm telling you, there are fewer and fewer disciples out there. And as they go along, they're going to be standing alone and, and they're going to feel like Elijah who was all by him, who felt like he was all by himself. I was just reading about that in my Bible this week and, and thinking about how sorry he felt for himself, you know, that there's nobody left. And, and there were, there were thousands left. He just felt lonely, but they're going to feel lonely. And, and we have to help them understand that you're not alone. I mean, you, it's okay to be the only one standing for something. When I was in, in high school, I mean, this, I don't even know how it happened, okay? When I was in high school, I went to public high school, and they voted me the homecoming queen, king. <laughs> I was way ahead of the death of time. King, can we erase that? Homecoming king. Okay, so let me back up. So I was... On, at the homecoming dance, guess where I was? I was at home with my tiara. No, just kidding. <laughs> I was at home because my parents would have never let me go. 
to a dance at the school. And, and listen, and my, I mean, prom, I never went to the prom. Man, you talk about feeling lonely. Sometimes as a high school kid, I know I look back now and it's no big deal. But man, in high school, it was a big deal. The only kid, I mean, the homecoming king. <laughs> Home alone. Actually with my parents. We're probably watching Sheffy or something. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, boy. Can we strike that from the record? You're going to feel lonely. You will. It feels lonely. Have you ever been the only one at work who's a Christian as an adult? Yep. Feels lonely, doesn't it? When you're the only one that doesn't swear? And you're the only one that doesn't talk about the stuff everybody else does? I'm telling you, it feels lonely. I know, I know a lot of people that have walk-away moments when there's an offense. And they're offended. Somebody did something to them and they're, they're bitter about it. You know, I, can't, I don't even know how many Christians that used to be in church and, and doing right. And they're now they're at home on Sundays because they're angry. Brother Ruckman, you know plenty. Brother Spillman, you know plenty. There's plenty out there who are bitter and they let an offense be their walk away, walk away moment. Or there's false doctrine I really believe that's going to be the walkaway moment for some of our young people. It's false teaching and false doctrine. And Brother Ruckman's been talking a lot about, about heresy and, you know, the book of Jude and, and standing uh, for right doctrine and how important it is. There's false teaching out there everywhere. And if we haven't taught them what the Bible says, how do we expect them to, to stand when they're by themselves and the disciples are at a crossroads and, and Jesus comes and look at verse 61. He says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the son of man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. He says, I, I, I mean, he's saying... What he's saying is you hear what I'm saying, but you're not accepting it. There's some of you that don't believe you're not sure I am who I say I am. And you're just not sure. And the problem was they had this idea that Jesus was going to come as king and he was going to make everything easier. He was going to kind of just as the king, he was going to, you know, just take over and he was going to kill, you know, take over the Romans and wipe them off the map. And he was going to set up a throne and he was going to be the king. And in their minds, they thought the kingdom is coming. This is the Messiah. But right here, he's saying, no, I didn't come to, to set up my throne as a king. He said, I came to take care of your bigger problem, which is sin. I didn't come offering you a kingdom. I came offering you, I'm coming, offering eternal life. And, and that was actually a much more important thing for them. But they're thinking, no, he, he's supposed to come and take care of all of our big problems. You know, that, he's not saying he's going to make life easier. He's saying he's going to fix the problem that matters the most. And they, did, they didn't really see it. They murmured. They didn't believe. And not just a couple of them went back, but many of his disciples went back. Many of them walked no more. And then he turns to the 12 and he says, will, will ye also go away? And that's when Peter answers in a way that really kind of just all makes us all say amen. In verse 68, he says that Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? 
There's no better alternative. You know, there's no better alternative. And, and here are the questions that Brother Prater presented in a certain way. He, he said, if I walk away, where will I go? And I've preached that before. If we walk away, where are we going to go that's better? Where would the disciples have gone back to? Would they go, go back to the Pharisees? Would they go back to the Sadducees? Would they go back to their old jobs? Would they go back to the boats and just fish? That's what Peter did later on. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember being so upset about something. and It was small, I'm sure, but I, I told my sister I was going to run away. And I was getting stuff ready. And she came in and she just said, okay, great, but where are you going to go? And I was like, huh. I hadn't really thought about that. And she's like, well, what, what are you going to do when you get hungry? And my sister was a prophet, by the way. And I said, hmm, I hadn't really thought about that. Because here I am, I was picking out my favorite lunchbox to take. Because that's what you do. Not thinking about the fact that something has to be in the lunchbox for me to eat. You know, we lived in Texas at the time, and my sister's like, it gets, what are, what are you going to do when it, when it gets hot? You know, what are you going to do if it rains? And, you know, and, you know, it was a very short sermon, but effective, because I decided not to run away. You know, young people think that leaving sounds appealing until they start looking at where they're headed. And, and they might turn to themselves, but, I, but, but you don't have the answers. We don't have the answers. And they might turn to somebody else and maybe think, well, I, I'm going to leave what I've been raised to, to believe because I have this relationship. And listen, I can look around the room, and I'm sure many adults in this room have thought, well, this relationship, this is all I've ever needed and all I've ever wanted. And this relationship is going to fix all of my problems only to find out that there's not one person on earth that can fix all your problems. And you thinking that a relationship is going to satisfy you in a way that Jesus can, uh, you are soon to find out how disappointing that is. Young people tend to turn to their peers and think that their peers are going to have the answers. And yet I preach about this or mention it a lot. When, Paul, when Solomon said, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Young people turn to sinful pleasure and and all the things that many in this room have had to go through to find out that nothing compares to Jesus Christ. So if, you, if I walk away, where, where will I go? What, question number two is, if, who am I choosing to leave? Well, you'd be leaving Jesus. And he just literally, Peter said it, you have the words of eternal life. Why would I leave the one... Uh, who has the words of eternal life. I mean, the most important thing I can do is know where I'm going when I die for eternity. And the one that has those words is Jesus. So uh, why would I leave him? Why would I choose to leave him? He's the only one who can satisfy me on any kind of internal, eternal level. And that's the whole point of the passage. He provides for all of our most important needs and he listens to us and he carries our burdens. And are you really willing to leave all that? I mean, not only that, Jesus himself, I mean, he, he endured or survived or chose to obey through his own walkaway moment. And there in the garden, when he asked his father, let the cup pass from him, and his flesh was opposing, his, his body didn't want to go through that. He didn't have a sin nature, but his body, nobody wants to go through that. He didn't want to endure that and the shame and the agony of the cross. But he went all the way to the cross and died in our place. He stayed because he loves us and he could have chosen to walk away, but he stayed. That should make us happy. 
We should be thankful. And yet, young people and, and grown-ups, they turn their back on that one. The one who went to the cross for them. And so many young people say, well, I'd never leave Christ, but you've let, they leave the things he loves. They say, well, I'm still, I'm still committed to Christ, but they go to college or they get a, their, a job and they're on their own and they stop going to church. And you, you can't tell me that you, don't, you haven't left Christ if you have left his church. Because he died for his church. He loves his church. And for us to say we love Christ and not love what he loves is, to not, is not to love Christ. And that they leave his church and they think, well, I can find what I need in just a, a Bible study or in, on, online in a live stream or on a podcast. And I'm telling you that those things don't replace this. This face-to-face interaction and the fellowship and the encouragement that comes when we meet together as a church family, we need this. And you, you can't say that you, that you love Christ like you should if you've left the things that he loves. And we heard the testimonies on Sunday. The point that they made was because of who Jesus is, there's not a better alternative even when it gets hard. There's no substitute. And if you walk away from Jesus now, you'll stand before him with regret later. So how do we help him here, wrapping up the application? How do we then, as parents and, and church members and mentors and teachers and friends, how do we help them survive their walk-away moments? Well, I think it starts with a genuine personal walk with God. Is that we have our own genuine personal walk with God and they need to see that in us because I'm afraid that we too many of us go through the motions and you know we we live the church life or we live the Christian life but it's not coming from a relationship how are we going to convince them that Jesus is better if we don't operate like Jesus is better Do we have a personal walk with the Lord that would be convincing to them that a life with Jesus is better? I mean, if they don't see in us a a continuous, consistent joy in what we're doing, you know, they're not going to want to do what we're doing. Or do we go through the motions of church and, and life without truly communing with him? How consistently do we seek God through his word? How often are we on our knees in faith-filled prayer? How important does church seem to us? You know, parents, how important is it to us? And, be, and, I, and I'll say this later, I'm sure, but the, the second-generation Christians always seem to come in underneath that first generation. They come in very too often doing less. It doesn't have to be that way, but too often it is that way. And I think it's because the, the Christian life is hard and being a disciple is hard and sometimes it just wears on us. And rather than live our Christian lives out of the outflow of a walk with God, we're going through the motions and our communion with God is nowhere to, nowhere to be found. Are we on our knees in faith-filled prayer? Do they see us in, in prayer? Do they see us or hear us open God's word? And do we think that, that these things, that all the things we want them to do will be priorities for them if they aren't priorities for us? Set the bar high in your walk with God. 
Especially knowing that chances are high that your children were coming underneath you. I hope they won't. I hope my children surpass my walk with the Lord. I hope that my, my, my family, my children, that my son, I hope that he preaches to more people than I do. And I'm not calling him to preach, but I'd, I'd love it if he did. I, I hope, though, that he witnesses to more people than I have. And I hope that he walks with God. I hope that my daughters read their Bibles and pray more fervently than I have. And I hope their prayer life is better than mine. I'm just asking you, parents, how real is your walk with God? And if your children are setting their standard for a walk with God based on yours, how high will it be? I wonder how many young people walk away because they've watched their parents and mentors just go through the religious motions. Number two, how can we help them survive their walk away moments to a, a right response to difficulty? I believe this is a huge thing. It, you know, for this, in this text, it was about difficulty. They were responding to something hard. It was a hard saying. Well, how we respond to the hard things is going to influence how likely they are to walk away. Because if a hard thing comes in our lives and we fall apart and we turn to everybody else before we turn to God, we are teaching them that God's not really in control of your problems. You better figure something out because you've got to figure it out for yourself. When things are hard, do you accept them with contentment and faith or worry and fear? Because our children are watching that. Have you responded to difficulty with a bitter, free spirit? I know some in our church going through some really hard things right now. I want to encourage you to ask God every day to help you remain bitter free. Because the bitterness that we respond to difficulty with, it, it will be transmitted. And I know a lot of young people who are raised in Christian homes and on the outside, everything looked good, but there was a critical spirit in mom or dad. And that critical spirit was transmitted to that child. And it turned that child. So while mom and dad were still in church, they had a critical spirit, but they were still in church. They didn't walk away, but their actions or their spirit affected their children to walk away. Listen, we may be mature enough to handle the hard moments, but our response is likely will be what convinces our children to stay or not. Number three, how do we help them survive a walkaway moment? Well, we need to reflect Jesus Christ. They need to see Jesus in us. See, the disciples saw Jesus and they compared him to the alternative and they said, well, you're better. You know how they could do that? Because they had an image of Jesus Christ in their, in their vision. They saw him and they said, why would I leave that? Why would we leave you? you are, you're, be you're better than anything we could go to. The image of Jesus Christ convinced them that he was the best and only option and they had a, because they had a clear image of Jesus Christ. But listen, what will the next generation do if they don't see clear images of Jesus? I know they have the word and I know... Uh, you know, that they could have their own faith. But listen, they need to see Jesus lived out in their parents, moms and dads, is our spirit like Jesus Christ. We need to give them a picture of Jesus so that in their walkaway moment, they, they see your face and they say, no, mom and dad, I mean, I see what they were like and I see Jesus in them. And I, there's nothing better than that. I saw how they handled that hardship. I saw how they handled the difficulties and they stayed true. And listen, 
yeah, I may be tempted right now to walk away, but I also, in my mind, I see Jesus in my parents, and there's no better alternative than that. Do they see Jesus Christ in our lives? Are we mirroring him? Is there an image of Christ from us to them? What if they don't see a clear picture? How do we expect them to choose what they've never had a clear picture of? And if for no other reason, let's strive to be like Christ so we can convince the next generation it's the best life. Because it is. Number four, and this is the last application, how to help them survive their walk away moments is we need to teach them what is true. We need to teach them truth. And I'm afraid in a lot of churches, the Christian life is just a compartment of life you know, that you just kind of live and, it, and you can do it without it really affecting anything else. You just kind of come and, you know, it's all fun. And, and I want church to be fun. I called myself a queen tonight. So, you know, I mean, that's fun for some of you. It woke you up. It was on purpose. So. No, but the root of the problem in this passage was unbelief. See, it was a matter of faith. We must major on doctrinal truth. See, if if we're going to help the next generation stay when everyone else leaves, they need to know what they believe. And uh, in our home, that's why this year in our home, uh, we're going to take our our children through discipleship. We want them to know what they believe. And I I hope that they, they know pretty well, but... You know, I mean, every little bit helps. And so we want them to know because someday, listen, if someday if they're faced with a walkaway moment and they have persecution coming at them and they're going to either stand for Christ or not, I want them to stand knowing what they believe. And do they know what they, what they, what we, what the Bible says? Have we taught them what it says? The day is coming. Our children will face tests that Americans never have. And if they're not convinced in their hearts that the words of this book are true, how do we expect them to remain standing when the pressure comes? If they don't know the truth, how will they stand against falsehood? How, how, will, they, how, will, they, how will they recognize it? You know, the Bible says, try the spirits. Well, how do you try the spirits if you don't know what's true? You have to have a standard that you're trying those spirits by. The next generation needs us to teach them what is true and what is right if we expect them to resist the walkaway moments. And we must be sure what we are. Uh, we must be what we are, I should say, if we're to help them become what they should be. And listen, this is not just a parent message. Because again, I feel, I, I think a church is, it takes a village. You've heard that said before. And I'm telling you, when other people invest in my kids, and they pattern Christ for my kids and they challenge my kids and help my children grow. I'm all for that. I'm not a defensive parent. I, I, I want my children to have your input in their lives. They need your voice. They need your example. They, they need your maturity. They need to see Christ in you. They need it. I want it. I want them to see it. And it take and the more, listen, the more examples they have of people that are that have a walk with God and respond to trouble in the right way and and, and are pictures of Jesus Christ in the way that they act and know the truth and teach it. 
I'm telling you, the more of those patterns that they see in our lives, the stronger they're going to stand. If, all, if the only people they see is you or, you know, only one person and yet everyone else is kind of, you know, how convinced do you think that they're going to be that Jesus is the best alternative? And listen, I'm not saying it's our, all our fault or, or we take all the credit for what they do. They have their choices to make. You know, my, own cho- my children have their choices to make. And they all have to make it. But I can do some things to put them in a better position to make the right choices. And I have that responsibility. And listen, so do you. And the question is, will we take our responsibility seriously enough to help the next generation? Because our problem may not be a walkaway moment from Christ. You may be settled. But it could certainly be that we walk away from our responsibility to help the next generation prepare to take their stand. So it may not be that I'm going to walk away. But if I walk away from my responsibility to help the next generation be prepared, then in some ways I have walked away. And I've left them to fend for themselves. And we as a church have left them to to fend for themselves. So I'm going to challenge you tonight. Walk with God. Respond correctly to difficulties. Reflect Jesus Christ in your attitudes and words and actions. And then teach them what is true. All of us have a responsibility. And we're not going to help them survive their walk-away moments if we walk away from our responsibilities to help prepare them for those moments. Will you be involved in that process? Will you take that responsibility seriously? And will you say, I won't walk away from my responsibility to help the next generation be prepared for their walk-away moment? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.